Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Pre-Med Office Hours, episode 151. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your moderator for today. I'm joined by Courtney Lewis, <laughs> friend, advisor, former director of admissions. How are you doing today? Good. I look like I'm joining you from the crypt. <laughs> I, the tint on my apartment windows makes me look like... I am less than healthy, but I'm feeling very vibrant. I love this time of year. It's nice to be on this end, helping students know how to apply versus uh, gearing up on the back end as a director. So <laughs> with, good time of year. With your band hammer. Rejected, 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 rejected. Yes, I've got my stamp. Yeah, my dream, <laughs> my dream crushing gavel. So yes, it's nice to be on this end. And, and I love this time of year. Everybody's working really hard. Great questions, great energy. It's an exciting time. So awesome. Uh, yeah. If you are joining us on Instagram, come over to premed.tv. That's where you can ask questions, where we pull them from. If you just want to hang out on Instagram, you can do so. If you want to come hang out with Courtney and me in person and the rest of the medical school HQ team, as well as deans, directors, recruiters from lots of medical schools across the country, as well as sit in on some amazing <laughs> admissions panels, as well as have some <laughs> hands-on workshops, an MMI workshop. Go get your ticket for MAPTCON 2023. It's going to be in Baltimore in person, October 6th through 8th. We're going to be at the Hilton Inner Harbor right there in uh, the beautiful Inner Harbor area of Baltimore. It's going to be, a gonna fun be time amazing. We, we've talked, Courtney, uh, you used to and, and still do um, come to conferences with, with us now at MAP, mm -hmm. uh, but you used to go to conferences as a former director of admissions at a medical school. Yeah. What are you doing at those conferences talking to students? Because we all know that you get thousands of applications. Like, why do you need to go talk to students and why is it important for students to talk to you? Yeah, it's, well, I mean, being being top of mind um, with students is always important for a lot of med schools, and and sometimes you don't you don't know about a school or you don't know kind of the inner workings, and so it gives us some face time, and it also allows students to kind of build rapport with us, right? Especially operating in this virtual world that we've been having to navigate. I cannot stress enough how important in person interaction still is to about every medical school, right? Because you you don't know anything really about somebody, just what they've shown you on paper and if you do a virtual interview. So it's such an amazing opportunity to have some FaceTime with the school, with decision makers, with people who are actually working on admissions and know about the school or students that they bring with them. Um, I cannot overemphasize that enough or push that narrative enough that these are important opportunities to capitalize on. So if your school is having health fairs or, you know, you're coming to the MAPS conference and things like that, 
it's such a good opportunity to advocate and promote yourself, but also learn about the schools from the people who are there and are decision makers. So take advantage of these times that are set aside. Think about who's on selection committees and ad comms and, and things like that. Generally an older generation um, who, who still really value those in-person times and connections. So take advantage. We'll make it worth your while, at least at MAPCOM. We know like we're inviting all of the people that we know that pre-med students have asked for and things like that. It's going to be hyper tailored to the pre-health sphere. Um, and we know we're bringing in people that will really be helpful for the students that, you know, we work with, but yeah. Yep. That's my soapbox. Maps.com. Go get your tickets. They're on uh, early bird special right now. Yeah. Why not? Why not save a couple dollars? Cause it's travel will be, kind of the component of it we're we're obviously not charging very much at all for the tickets um but but we understand that travel is a significant cost but that's why we're trying to add as much value as possible with who we're bringing in the panels the workshops um kind of these one-on-one meet and greets the schools you know that we've already been touching base with we know they're coming and, and looking forward to meeting as many students as possible so if we can make this something that's also really high value to them because so many students are coming and taking advantage of these opportunities, it will bode well for everybody involved. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right. There's a TikToker that does that all the time. Yep, yep, yep. He's like a British supermodel. And he goes, yep, yep, yep. Oh, anyway. You're watching British supermodels on TikTok, right? He's hilarious. Yeah, he's a ginger <laughs> like me, so I got to support him. Ah, got uh, it. JB asks, so I have a strong desire for DO so I can enter rural practice. Uh, but I'm worried this is not a strong enough reason since MDs can do this too. Exactly. Right. Should I focus right. on deeper reason in my secondaries? Former director of admissions at an osteopathic school. Courtney, if, if you read, hey, why are you interested in osteopathic medicine? And the student said, I want to practice rural medicine. Does that resonate with you? Okay. <laughs> um, it, 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 honestly, that's my reaction. All right. You can do that as an MD as well. There's a lot of MD schools that um, focus on rural underserved areas, whether it's family practice or not. Um so you may, yeah, you may want to have a deeper meaning than that if it's specific to osteopathic medicine. But if that's really your driver, you can do that through a DO or an MD degree for sure. And I'm sure that people would be happy to have you want to work in an underserved area regardless. So yes, in your secondaries, um, potentially you'll want to have additional reasons if, if you are specific to DO, what other than location, what is it that is the draw? Is it the tenants? Is it the philosophy? Because there's, at this point in time, there's not a lot of differences between the two. <laughs> there's a bit of training, maybe a little bit of foundational philosophy, but it's not like you're not prescribing drugs or doing surgeries or anything like that. So yep. you'll, you'll have to have some reasons. Dr. Gray with an E, let's pick that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh fluffy okay lister how will retaking a four credit class affect my semesterly gpa graph how is it calculated into my gpa 
Fluffy, I'm not really sure what your question is. Uh, GPAs are calculated based on a simple math calculation. How many credits was the class? What was the point weight of your grade, right? An A is a 4.0 and an A minus is a 3.7, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you multiply those two numbers and that is your your kind of credits that you, or the, the points that you earned for that class. So if you got a 4.0, let's say, your credit weight for that class at three credits is 12, at four credits it's 16. Mm -hmm. but. The math all works out at the end because you divide by three or you divide by four. <laughs> Just how it's all working out. So it's simple. Go use MAPT. So some undergraduate institutions, if you retake a course, maybe they won't include it in their GPA calculations, right? It may wipe um, from their record and, and not qualify the same. I missed miss the whole retaking part of that question. Yeah, yeah. It changes the GPA okay. when you're applying to med school. It does. They will count both takes, both the the first attempt and the retake. So it yeah. will affect your GPA in that regard. But it's going to be the same math that, that Ryan mentioned, right? If, yeah. if you get a C minus and you could have up to four points and you don't make those four points, it's going to count towards your GPA. And also this and knowing that the credit value is still there. It's yeah. gonna, gonna affect your GPA. Yeah. Reading comprehension apparently is very important. I, I missed that whole retaking. Uh, yeah, I, a lot of people are like, how do, how do the two classes average? Like, t technically, that's exactly what happens, right? Mathematically, mm -hmm. it's, it's an average. But you don't worry about those two individual classes. You just add every single class into your application or onto Mapped, and, and let the, the software do the, the Yeah. So, so your semester GPA for that semester may not be very strong, right? You may see a divot based on how many classes you were taking at that time that you had a failed attempt or something like that. And so, yes, that semester will potentially look like, like a drop. But if it's one class and they can see a retake, generally that's not going to be enough to be like, oh, no, not qualified for med school. We, we take into account all information. So, you know, if it was you were taking five classes at that time or six classes at that time very ambitiously and one failed, that's an easily identifiable, like, oh, we can, in, we can assume that this was going on, right? Yep. So not a big deal. It, it is what it is. It's in the past now, but that's how it's going to look. Yep. Akaki, hello. Uh, Akaki came on. When were you on? Was that? Application Academy? I think so. Uh, when hmm. writing shadowing activities, or was that my Instagram live on Friday? I forget. Now, whatever. Uh, when writing shadowing activity, is it okay to just list the names, specialty, how many hours with each? I shadowed nine different positions, and just writing their names and specialties is 400 characters. Sure. Yeah, there's, there's no rules there, um, especially if you have nine physicians. Go for it, right? List it, list their name, their specialty, date range, hours for each specialty if you have room for that. If you have room for a sentence of a reflection or takeaway, great. Yep. Go for it. You don't have to put the hospitals or anything like that in, but do include the specialties. Yep. JKLOL, I already graduated in one of my one year bio lab classes, has a C minus. I've taken mm. other upper division bio classes, but none of them were labs. Do I need to sign up for a class to replace this? Courtney, C minus, not 
everyone knows that a C minus for most, if not all, medical schools is basically an F, right? Is is not mm-hmm. passing. If this is a bio gen bio lab, retake, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, that is the answer. Um, most prereq requirements specifically state course with lab. Um, so whether it's a separate grade or part of the first, you'll need to have what's considered a, a passing or qualifying grade, which would be a C or above. And with the C minus, it, it won't count. So, yep, you will need a lab. No LOL there. So no asks, I am working, I am a working non-trad. For postback classes, I cannot take in person at a university due to my schedule. Mm-hmm. Which is better, in person community college or online at a university? Ooh. Great question. <laughs> is this a straightforward answer? Or is it going to be there are 200 medical schools and 200 right. opinions? Right. I mean, uh- Notoriously, like it depends. Um, I would, I would actually. This is a great question, and and I would look at some of the schools that you think that you might be interested in, and see if they'll give any signals on what they would prefer, because there there probably are some preferences here. Um, I've heard arguments both ways, where in person will always be better than online. But taking it at a four-year institution, I've also heard argument for. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to be what fits your schedule and what you can pull off that will always be the best. But but see if you can find some information on on their admissions web pages and things like that, where they'll tell you or the MSAR or whatever it is that you're referencing um, if they accept online mm-hmm. credits because we know that they accept community college now how you know how they view them even with them satisfying it you don't know but but let's err on the side that they have no problem with it that will probably be the one that will give you the most latitude across schools versus online would be my my guess so i would just i would double check yeah so I, I pulled up the MSAR here, which everyone, yeah. it, this is a good resource. Unfortunately, you have to pay for it from the AMC. Um, but every school should have a chart that looks something similar to this, where it says mm-hmm. required recommended pre-medical coursework. Now, so if your question is a little bit more specific about post-bac classes, and you may be doing it to improve your grades, maybe you took your prereqs already and you're trying to take some upper division stuff. So this doesn't technically pertain to that specific scenario, but let's say you're a career changer and you haven't taken your prereqs yet. Mm -hmm. You can see here the general potential bias that a school may have. So this uh, this is Albany. And you can see that they have a bias based on their chart here for mm-hmm. online courses. They say no to all of the online courses for prereqs. But they do say yes for community college accepted. Yep. So again, this doesn't specifically answer a question if you're uh, a, kind of a, an enhancer, an academic enhancer, um, but we'll give you a general idea 
of what's going on. And then you have you have schools out there like Hopkins that historically post COVID said, hey, we're, we're changing our tune. We're going to accept mm-hmm. all online classes, pre-COVID, post-COVID. We taught med school online. You can obviously take prereqs online. And I was like, yeah. hallelujah, someone has right. logic in this process. Right. <laughs> so, yep. There you it's going to take some, some digging and some research, but there are resources. So that's M-S-A-R for MD schools. Um, you can probably find in a roundabout way on the choose DO for DO schools if you're looking at those for online versus community college as well. They'll let you know if they accept online coursework um, and if it's just during COVID or if it's beyond. So good luck. That's the, the choose DO explorer if you Google that. Soph said, thank you. The chart was super helpful. Good. Aliu, as a registered nurse, I have a nursing uh, research I spearheaded. I have clinical experience and volunteer work. I also work in a hospital. Do I have to shadow a doctor? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have a very specific answer to this. My answer is yes, as a nurse, you don't see the full in and out of what a physician does. You see parts of their job working kind of side by side with them. Uh, So... I'm a big fan of saying yes, even though you have a a fantastic clinical job, you should also shadow a physician. That doesn't mean you need to go shadow 20 hours a week. If you go shadow for like five hours or four hours, a half day, every month or every other month, you're probably fine. And I encourage you to, you know, maybe pick different settings, right? If you are at a hospital, go to a private practice, go to a dermatology clinic, right? Like, See what physicians day to day looks like in other settings, which will give you a little bit of breadth and depth to your understanding of like what their role could look like in other areas that you'd be able to speak to. Yes, yes. Luke asks, I have not found many great resources except for ours, (laughs) (laughs) on the Other Unique Experiences essay, uh, also known as the Other Impactful Experiences essay. I I don't know what it is about pre-meds. Pre-meds love to throw out the word unique, where almost nowhere does unique come up, right? Nobody is asking for unique. Right. So, Other Impactful Experiences. Is it okay to talk about big COVID setbacks, a family move abroad to Italy, addressing why I didn't use my CNA license? All of the above, it, it qualifies under the prompt, right? The prompt is about challenges, family things that were going on, um, any barriers or just things that you think that the ad com should know to give them some context that you weren't able to address elsewhere in your application. So technically, any of those things would qualify if you feel like they add value or context or would be helpful to know um, to, to enhance your application or, you know, maybe this family move was, was during a particular time where it's evidenced, you know, something in your application that you weren't able to provide any context or additional information for. So here's your opportunity. So, yeah, sure. That context is a big part, right? Luke is, Mm -hmm is what can I tell the admissions committee that will help give them context as they look at the rest of my application? For Mm -hmm. me, not using your CNA license is like, lots of people get their certifications because they're potentially interested in something and then they have something different come along. So to me, that's not a big one, but uh, if, if you think it adds context to your application, go for it. 
Sonia, Sonia, my DIY postback program only allows you to take two classes at a time. Interesting. They're like, we don't want your money. Uh, so students can work full time. Uh, how can I show medical schools I can handle the course load if my program has this limitation? Courtney, this is a very common concern that students have, especially non-trads who are working, supporting families, et cetera, is, hey, I can only take one or two classes a semester. Is that going to be a problem? Obviously do well in those classes, right? That, that will make a difference. That will be high yield and helpful. One in actually learning and retaining the information because it's going to be foundational. You'll, you'll need that information. Um, but two, we get to see kind of a bunch of different data points. So we will see if you're working full time during the time that you're taking your post back. And that's not nothing to us, right? It's about being able to multitask, how you balance your time, how um, you kind of work your schedule and things like that, because we're asking you to essentially do a very similar thing in med school where, you know, instead your full-time job will be your coursework, but you're going to have to do research, study for the boards, community volunteer, clubs and organizations, very much like being a pre-med. Um, so this is not problematic. Just make sure that, that academics don't fall by the wayside and that you're showing that you can handle multiple things at once. But we understand working full-time takes time, energy, mental capacity. So this, I, I don't see a, a big problem with this, um, provided you do well in your academics and, and they don't have to start. You're not introducing risk by performing poorly. Yeah. I, again, I think a lot of students don't understand or don't, uh, I don't know what the right word is. They 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 don't they don't understand that that admissions committee members see everything, and they mm -hmm. are using a big picture to interpret this data for context. And so, if a student is only taking one or two classes a semester, and they go and look at their activity section, and there's nothing there, it's like, uh, what's going on? But if you look, what at are you doing? Section, yeah. And there's a job there and all this other stuff. It's like, oh, okay, I, I have a better picture, right? I can look at your age. I can maybe make some assumptions about what family life, home life looks like um, that, that may help me understand some of your other responsibilities. So yeah, yeah it's not and, just everything in a silo. Right. And then, and then another perk to, to non-trads, I, I feel like so oftentimes they feel like they're at such a deficit and they're like, they're, they're not going to want me. They're not going to take me, you know, what qualities do I have versus like this stunning person that's coming out, you know, with a 4.0 and things like that. But life experience, hopefully, um, a lot of the times with, with non-trads or, or people who are doing post back and stuff, you've had just a couple of additional years of life under your belt. We also know that you're employable, Right. You've had to work full time. You've had to work in a team environment. So we can hopefully uh, assume that in third and fourth year, you're not going to be a problematic person because you've worked in an actual capacity um, where people had to depend on you and you're not going to have professionalism problems or show up late or, or things like that, where if people have kind of just done you know, undergrad research and really focused on their academics, they may not know as much about a work environment. And we're putting them into fully fledged private practices, hospitals, surgical centers. So there are a lot of perks of actually having work experience under your belt in just a couple of additional years and, and having to 
consciously make a choice to determine to go to school to get these classes, to work full-time while you're doing it, to purposefully choose to do the pre-med pass. So don't, don't feel like that's not valuable or that's not seen and, and appreciated um, as, as a non-trad or somebody who's doing a post or master's. Andrew asks, I'm wondering what is the latest I can take the Casper test for this cycle? I'm scheduled for June 1st, but it seems that I have a time conflict. Oh, Casper, SJT, the AMC preview. Um, there, th- Courtney, again, like the, the process that schools use to review applications, do they use Casper um, as part of their determination for marking an application complete versus are they looking at it post-interview versus are they looking at it to screen for an interview? It's so different, right? And And the best thing that we can always say is earlier is always almost better. So uh, yeah. yeah, if you got to, if you got to move the date, move the date. Jerbear, for the activity section, I would like to share my experiences babysitting my cousins and siblings because it was such an important part of who I am. Is this possible? Courtney, are there any rules sure. to this process? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, well. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, at the end of the day, but um, it's, it's really up to you on, on what you want to share. If this took a significant amount of your time and was part of your development and, um, and you have a a takeaway from it, it sounds like there were quite a few hours devoted to it. So, um, that's not problematic. Yes, you can add that. Yes, you can. Yeah. So, so just, just as an example here, right. Are there rules? Well, a very common question we get is, can you include stuff from high school? And AMCAS doesn't say anything about it. A Comus says, Hey, your activities should ideally be within the last 10 years and ideally collegiate level. TMDSAS says nothing from high school. <laughs> so three application services, three separate uh, answers there. Or 31, I had a 2.5 my first year, a 3.9 or higher every year after. Woohoo! I heard I should apply like I have a 3.8. What validity does that statement have? All right. So, Courtney, do you, do you understand what they're asking? Because I do. <laughs> yeah, but I'll let you go. <laughs> so, they're asking... Um, how should I pick my schools? Should I Uh pick my schools as if I have a 3.8 or should I pick my schools as if I have whatever the the calculated GPA is? And the answer that I will give you, Courtney, I'd love to hear your answer is Mm -hmm. don't pick your schools based on your stats. It is such a, a common trap that I think students fall into is going, what's my GPA? What's my MCAT score? Okay, those are the schools I should apply to. There are so many other variables that you as an applicant should be looking at and so many other variables that the school is looking for in their applicants. They are, yes, obviously making some sort of initial judgments based on ability, academic ability, and that usually comes down to MCAT and GPA. But once you are over a certain number, 
ignore stats, in my opinion, and apply to the schools where you think there's a lot of mission alignment, where you think you will thrive and all of that good stuff. Courtney? Agreed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't like the phrasing of this question if I put myself on like the director of admission uh, cap back on. Don't like this question. Um, but being on this other end and, and transparency and things, schools will look at it any number of ways. Obviously, having a 3.9 or higher every year after that is a good thing, right? Probably not assuming a lot of academic risk. Um, Obviously, you figured out what was going on that first year. It's not uncommon to see something like that as people are trying to get their footing. Um, So know that you likely fall or your GPA likely falls in a pool with everybody else who's also kind of equally academically qualified. So what is it beyond that, um, that you can offer or, or that you're, you would bring to the school or, or foundation wise that we have to build upon. So uh, yes, I think there's probably not a lot of academic risk that will be assumed based on your record. Um, So you, you can apply, but they're going to be, looking at all of those other things because you're in a pool of 20,000 other people that have 3.6 to 3.9 to 4.0 too. So <laughs> yep. doesn't, doesn't really differentiate that much. What else? Yeah. Julian, I failed Gen Chem twice. Is it worth me taking it again or should I give up on my med school dreams? Give up. You're done. <laughs> that's, that's always a, what that's ryan's saying here. that's what he drives home <laughs> you're done if at first you don't succeed and you fail again you're done uh yeah. no like courtney i'm sure you have uh, again with the tens of thousands of applications that you've seen in your lifetime if not a hundred uh yeah i'm sure you've seen students who like just there there's that one <laughs> that one thing that's just like I suck at Gen Chem. I suck at physics. Uh, whatever it is, and and the rest of their application obviously needs to show some academic ability. Is a student allowed to struggle? Is yeah. basically what Julian is asking here. Yeah, I mean, really, what's going to be the most important is like being really honest with yourself. Like, why does this keep happening? Is it the time that you're trying to take it? Is it the hours that you're devoting to studying? Um, I mean, generally we see this with like OCHEM, I would say, but Gen Chem, you know, that's fine if it's like that. But I would be more worried about the why behind it Mm -hmm. than I am with how many times you take it. Um, and, And what do you need to change personally to make sure that this third time it's gonna be a non issue? Because obviously something is going on if it if it happened twice and there can be a myriad of reasons there um i would say it it's not something that would technically just on its own keep you out of med school but they're gonna want to know like okay two failed attempts here maybe this gets brought up in a discussion in an interview or in a secondary or something like that you're gonna want to be able to speak to 
why it happened, how you fixed it, what you learned from it, why, you know, there was a growth opportunity in it. You know, they're going to look at your academics as a whole and they're going to look at your MCAT as a whole and they're going to look at the rest of your application and what was going on simultaneously. Like we've tried to drill home so many times, but figure out something before you take it again yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> to make sure that, yeah, that this is a, a third and done type situation. You could speak to that. Yeah. Stop, stop digging a hole to, to me. There's a question Two failed attempts to me is either um, just obviously completely uh, got derailed by life, which happens twice, which is a little more unusual. Um, but there's some potential for me as as someone looking at this going, was there poor decision making here? Mm-hmm. Right? Was there some knee jerk? Oh, I just need to take it again. And I'm going right. to just try even harder. Uh, but you don't go to office hours. You don't reach out for a tutor. You don't go to wherever to get the help that you need. Mm-hmm. Is is there some, again, poor decision making? So so that is a big question mark, I think. But as as Courtney, as you mentioned, right? Don't fail again. <laughs> Go figure yeah. out, take a break. Figure out what it is. Yeah. So, sometimes take a semester off of everything and just make sure life is in order again. Um, I always think about uh, Chad, who's a, a former student I know, had had him on the podcast at one point. He did not that great as an undergrad. He was young, he was married, he had kids, and he worked to take care of his family. So he didn't do well in undergrad because he didn't have yeah. the time to dedicate to being a good student. Yeah. He was like, I want to be a doctor. So he's like, I'll just work even harder uh, to do a post back. But all of his other responsibilities were still there. He, yeah. he had his family to support and he worked and yeah. all that other stuff. So he he wasn't able to dedicate his time to show that he could be a good student. Right. And then finally, he's like, okay, obviously undergrad post back didn't go well. I got one more shot at this did an SMP, went on government assistance programs so that he could actually support his family without working full-time. And guess what? Shocker, once he was able to focus on being a student, he's like, oh, look, I am a good student. And got into into med school and now is a second year, um, almost a third year now, surgical resident. So he's he's crushing it. There's there's so, so many of those examples, right, that that I think – people want to like shove aside and like, Oh, I have to be, I have to be this thing. I have to, I have to come out with these stats to be worth anything, or I have to have this struggle or something like that. Um, Just fix what you need to fix on your path. You're applying as you, and we look at it as you in the context of the information that you share in your application. So yeah, I think that's a big part of it, right? Is is the student is so focused on, but what if, but what if, but what if? Yeah. How how are they going to look at this, right? Yeah. When when today, right this minute, the only thing you should be focused on is what happened and how can I improve today? Yep. RK, if I can't get all of my LORs until early July, will mm. I uh, be at a huge disadvantage applying this cycle? A lot of uh, committee letters don't even get submitted until like mid-August, so you're fine. I hate that. <laughs> I know, me too. 
if they're going to force them to go through that process, then they need to do them earlier. But that's yeah. a yeah, topic for another time. That's a that's a different topic, and and a lot. I I feel for the people that have to write those because a lot of the times it's just yeah. part of the job. Um, but no, it's okay. It's okay. Perpetuated. I know. I know. I know. Uh, anonymous camel cased pre-med. Would you advise against talking about shadowing experiences if they were meaningful, but technically not allowed like a licensed healthcare worker who did more than observe in surgery? I wouldn't talk about that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't participate as a person of integrity if it was against the rules, yeah. let alone talk about it. Don't, do yeah, it. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. yeah, it may be cool and fascinating and you're gaining experience, but <laughs> there is some, some ethically, <laughs> morally. But they did it for the gram. Like, look, Moscow. Mm, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, it, it, this comes up a lot um, with international yeah, uh, kind yeah. of medical mission trips of like, yep. as a pre-med student, I got to be first assistant surgery. I'm like, right. uh, were you trained to do that? Like, yeah. yeah, don't don't do that. Don't talk about it. Don't do it. Just say no, my friends. Miranda, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Miranda asks, I'm applying to schools that look for clinical opportunities among the underserved. Would you consider mental health an underserved population? No, I don't. I don't think that's how they're defining stuff. That's a but, category. Yeah, but yeah. mental health for the Latino population, right? It's it's typically uh, right rural, urban people experiencing sort of houselessness. Yeah. Um. Yep. So on its own, no. Yeah. Agreed. Great questions coming in today. I'm loving this energy of all of these questions. John, I I, I like that avatar. What is that? It's like a crazy fish. Uh, If a school says we consider the highest total MCAT score, would they view a student with just, I hate that word, a 508, their only score, the same as a student who retook a 508 and did worse on the retake, 508 to 506. Uh, Useless question. Don't compare yourself to others. You've got a 508. Good job. Well, maybe he didn't. <laughs> maybe he got a 506 on his second. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're telling you that's what they're using on their rubric for their consideration, whatever it is. They're using your highest non-expired MCAT score. So yep. that is the information. That is what they are signaling to you. So 508 it is. Yeah. Could they have some secret extra line on the rubric that says, did they go down on their next one? <laughs> they may. But this is where I get, right, when I say useless question, I, I I don't mean that, like, how dare you ask it. I mean it as if, like, why bother asking the question? Because you can't control anything. You, you can't, can't control, change yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. So that, that's well, what I'm getting at. Like, is it ideal to go down in the score? No. No, not ideal, but a two-point drop seems a little bit like a nuance, right? I may look it's at the subsection. confidence uh, ratio. Whatever. It is. It really is. And so, like, if it was a drop to, like, a 495, I would be like, these are two. Like, yeah. this is on a different planet. What happened here? Yeah. Um, but that is not the situation. 
Dylan, is the AMC preview exam required to submit through AMCAS or is this school base confused on this, especially with Casper requirements? So preview is separate from AMCAS. Casper is separate from AMCAS. Separate. Money. Casper. <laughs> it's, it's for money. It's for it's, money. Yep. So you can submit your AMCAS without your preview. You can submit your AMCAS without your Casper. You can submit your AMCAS without your MCAT. You can submit your AMCAS without your LORs. And then you designate the schools to receive based on what the school wants. Yep. yep. Should make a, a Dr. Seuss rhyme that does that. I'm going to ask <laughs> ChatGPT to do that. Uh, days T, do schools not look at your application until your MCAT score rolls in for them? Even though I have two past scores. Uh, I put that I'm retaking it. Of course, this is such a common question, right? When you mark that you're retaking, there's a little mm -hmm. flag that will pop up on an application yep. that says, hey, this student is pending a score. Mm -hmm. Even if a student has a previous score, maybe that they're scared of being screened out based on that previous score, they a, a lot of times the student will like not submit their application until their new score is in, which is potentially mm -hmm. hindering them based on verification timelines and stuff. Should they be reassured that most schools are probably just going to sit on an application? They're not going to judge you based on your old scores because you have a new score coming in? I'd say for the most part, yeah. Um, if if you have an upcoming pending one, I'm going to want that data point. Um, and if I have to wait two weeks, three weeks to get it, I'll probably just put you in a pool, like a holding pool. Um Sometimes we would have people signal to us like, hey, I do have this upcoming take. I would like to be placed on hold until that score is released. Fine. Happy to do it. Um, you know, if they have automations, like if we want to get into the technicalities of things, which I tend to get in the weeds of here, but if they have an automation that's looking for a minimum requirement that will get an application in, rule it out. And then it's like, Hey, I received this, but I have an upcoming MCAT. What if that qualifies to move forward? Is that okay? Then yes, that will be okay. Once they have that data point. But I mean, there's like little nuances like that, but I wouldn't wait to get your application submitted and verified and put that on pause. Because if you wait until you receive your MCAT score to hit complete and send, you're waiting another six to eight weeks that becomes problematic pretty quickly, I would say. So um, I, I think you can submit and they'll see that you have something upcoming is, is kind of the major rule of thumb here, I would say. Yeah. Have you heard differently? No. Yeah, I, I okay. think my, my, my gut is just like, do you think admissions committees are that mean that they're like, no, you're not allowed to retake the MCAT. You're not allowed to struggle on the MCAT. So we're going to look at whatever score you have and we're just going to assume you're a terrible person if, if you have a bad score and you're retaking it. We don't want to wait for the new score. Like, it, it's not going to happen. Nicholas, what are your thoughts on schools <laughs> coming off of U.S. News rankings? So let me, let me add a little nuance to this question. Uh, schools are not coming off of the ranking. Schools are removing their participation in the ranking. U.S. News is still going to rank schools. They're going to figure out a way to rank schools without whatever sort of private information the schools are sharing with them because at the end of the day u.s news is there to make money off of clicks and website visitors and used to be magazine sales um so i 
I'm a huge fan, right, to uh, – and actually, Courtney, um, I, I don't know if you saw – I kind of yelled at the AOA for Dio's um, Instagram account the other day because they were bragging about some – Having rankings? being ranked by us news and i'm like do not feed into this madness it's yeah good um yeah yeah. so uh, i'm glad that a lot of schools uh remove their participation i have a episode uh nicholas let me see if i can find it uh us news uh brian carmody um I did a podcast episode with a friend, Dr. Brian Carmody, after the news of lots of, of these schools removing their their participation. And it doesn't look like... Uh, it's episode 432. No, that is not it. I'll, I'll come back to you. Um, but yeah, I, I like that they're stopping participation. They, they shouldn't. Uh, to me, there's perverse incentives if you look at the methodology behind u.s news and world reports rankings which is Mm -hmm. public information they they use um selectivity as part of their their uh ranking so Mm -hmm. the more secondaries that are submitted and the 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 better their selectivity right because their class size typically isn't changing year to year drastically but if they can not screen secondaries and they get 8,000 secondaries versus 4,000, their selectivity looks a lot more stringent and that boosts them up in in the rankings. MCAT score, GPA are part of the rankings. And so if they can boost their average class MCAT score, they can boost their average class GPA, it looks better for the rankings. And so there are these perverse incentives that have uh, deleterious, if that's the right word, effects on the applicant that the school is just chasing this number of like, oh, we moved up a spot in the rankings. Like, it doesn't affect education. It doesn't affect uh, your career opportunities. It's just a it shouldn't. trash. Yeah. Yeah. Ask me how I really feel. <laughs> uh, Danielle, should I prioritize a leadership position in service or a research opportunity? I will be applying for 2024, 2025 cycle. I want to make the best decision and hours are the same for both opportunities. <laughs> Courtney, before we answer this question, I, I will give you a um, some insight into a student that I ran into at a conference many years ago. Okay. He comes up to me after a talk. I was I was tabling. And he he goes, Dr. Gray, I, I have this, I have this, I don't know why I rolled my whatever. <laughs> Dr. Gray, I have, I have this uh, um, opportunity this summer should I do this or should I do that? And I'm like, what do you want to do? And he goes, you, yeah. no, 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 no. Should I do this or should I do that? <laughs> what do you want to do? And and I wouldn't answer the question. He got mad. He like stormed off. So I'll, I'll let you answer this one. It's the same answer, honestly. Um, you know, like I, I look at it through the lens of somebody who's previously evaluated applications, right? Um, what is going to be beneficial to building your foundation? What is going to be helpful in preparing you for medical school that you can kind of speak to that will enrich your life and have you in a positive headspace that will give you the the time and the latitude to work on the things that you need? Um, each one sounds on surface of just stating leadership or research. Each one could be great. 
depending on what you make it and what it is for you. There would be no priority to me as an evaluator necessarily on on what it is that you submit. It's really about how you talk about it, what it meant to you, and what I'm then building upon in med school. So can't can't really give you a definitive there because it's it's what you make it and and how it helps you so pick the one that you feel like you need or that you're the most enthusiastic about because that will you know that changes your day-to-day that changes how you engage with people if you're going to get letters of recommendation or anything like that from a supervisor or pi or or whatever it is um or work in a team environment in any capacity, like what are those value adds to your life and your foundation and, and trust your gut there because, you know, from, from a background standpoint, I evaluate the information that you give me and each of these things could be good depending on what it was for you. Yeah. Um, and there are so many other questions here, right? We, we can't just look at this in a silo as no. I keep saying, Do you have clinical experience? Maybe you should scrap both of these things and get some clinical experience. And a lot of people think of in black and white, and as my name implies, I like to think in gray. Like a lot of times, oh my gosh, (laughs) oh my gosh, with an an A, uh, uh, students (laughs) like to think of like, well, during my gap year, should should I do clinical experience or should I do research? I'm like, why not both? Right? Do you have to do 40 hours a week doing one thing? Can you do 30 hours a week doing one thing, 10 hours a week doing one thing? Can you do 20 hours a week working as a scribe and 20 hours a week working at the zoo because you love animals and you want to go do that before you start medical school? Right? There, there are lots of options to mix things up. It doesn't have to be all or none. And, and I mean, just kind of like we talked about before, breadth and depth of experience across the board can be really valuable and show that you're kind of a multifaceted person, right? Like maybe you're a Renaissance person and you have multiple interests and um, you have lots of different passions. Like equally, that's not important. Obviously, you know, some clinical aspects where you can kind of speak to what the day-to-day of a physician looks like or what it's like working with patients, that will always be valuable. But like beyond those things, I really want to know about you and your passions as a person. Um these are like nuances. These are, these are additives, right. To give us some context of view. And so it doesn't have to look so canned or stale or dry. Like if you want to add something that's kind of wacky or maybe not the traditional thing, that's okay too. So think about what's going to prepare you to hit the ground running where you're going to feel fulfilled, where you're going to feel prepared to start medical school as much as one can. Um, and and give you that life experience that you need. Yeah, and want sometimes. Yeah. Um, premedyears.com slash 520 is that episode that I did with Dr. Brian Carmody about uh, a lot of those schools uh, leaving or stopping their participation in the U.S. News and World Reports. Alpha, how many clinical hours are good to be considered in medical school? More than zero? More than zero. Less than infinity? Somewhere in there. Yep. <laughs> I've seen combat medics that had over 10,000 hours in the field. And I've seen people that have done 200 total hours 
some in shadowing, some, you know, as a CNA or, you know, various things like that. Caregiver for a family member, right? Like that's a big difference, right? But each person has the opportunity. It's really about you, where you're at, foundation, what we can build upon, how you fit to the school. So more than zero. Exactly. Listen, infinity. Uh, before we jump to the next question, just a reminder, we do offer, we don't talk about it often, we do offer one-on-one -on -one advising here at Medical School HQ. We just brought on a new mm -hmm. uh, advisor onto our team, who's a former director of admissions at UC Irvine. She was on the admissions committee at USC Keck. Um, and so our schedule is opening up a little bit more for that. So if you need help with your essays for this cycle or interview prep or any of that, go over to medicalschoolhq.net slash advising as the ticker is showing down below. Uh, Courtney's available. We have Dr. Scott Wright, former another former director of admissions. So, And Verinia Graham, I'm, who's amazing. I'm available if you want to snag the last little bits of my time, so I would jump on <laughs> it quickly. Um, but also for those of you who are still like early on in your undergrad, right? Like you're maybe a freshman or a sophomore. We actually do advising for that. So, you know, if you don't have access to an advisor or you just want more time, like we all have experience with undergraduate advising up to the pre-med point into medical school. Like, you know, I've created pathways with colleges and things where they were feeder programs and stuff. So we all have experience and background in that area too. So we, if you want that, we can also offer that too. Yep. Yep. We call that, that pre-med pathway. Yeah. So go check that out. And then we also offer MAP to maps.com, which is our free platform to help you track everything. And you can do yep. some chat advising through that as well with MAPS Pro. Yep. All right, let's do one more question. What will it be? Ryan, can you show us how to use my LORs to submit letters to AMCAS? I requested them via my LORs, but I'm not sure how to transfer them over to the application. Let's do it. Um, all right, so let me log into my mapped account. So my LORs is our version of uh, Interfolio built from the ground up to be um, specifically for pre-health students. So... Let me share my screen. Uh, we got mapped here. All right, so this is our mapped demo account as I add it to the screen. Um, and you can see here on the side, we have, um, if I can zoom in, we have my LORs off on the side here. So if we click on that, we can then see what letters we have in our system. And you can see here that we have two letters, both of them written by me apparently. One has passed the QA process, one is still pending. I leave that one pending just for showing other people uh, what that looks like. If I click into the actual letter of request, we can see the request there, uh, we can see that it's pending. And then over on the side, what we have here, we've already marked it for AMCAS and we have auto submit checked. What we're waiting for is the letter ID. So what you need to do, Ryan, is you go into AMCAS and this is a similar proce process for a Comus. You mm -hmm. go into AMCAS and request a letter of ID, or a letter of recommendation, the same way that you would if you weren't using 
my LORs for AMCAS. AMCAS will give you a PDF that is quote unquote supposed to go to the letter writer, but you don't have to send it to the letter writer because the letter, letter writer technically has already submitted their letter to us. So inside here uh, on that PDF, on that document is a letter ID. You put the letter ID here, you submit it and it's good. Uh, if you don't want to submit automatically, you just would would do what you want, and uh, um, it'll you can submit later. So that is what um, potentially Ryan for you your letter is waiting for. It's waiting for that letter ID, and again, you get that by going to AMCAS, uh, requesting a letter of recommendation through AMCAS. AMCAS gives you a PDF. You take the letter ID out of that and put it right here. For Comus, it's a little bit different. We do it very similar to Interfolio, where you can see here, there is this very special uh, 142 advisor at mg.map.com. Uh, I don't know what MG, oh, I know what MG is for. Um, uh, you take this email address, and this is the email address that you give to a Comus. A Comus will then email us as if we are the letter writer, and we will take the information out of it that we need and we will submit automatically. Both of the, the submission processes to ACOMIS and to uh, AMCAS are automatic. We're not manually update, uh, uploading stuff. It's all automatic once we have the information. So hopefully that was that, helpful. That may sound confusing to some people, but it's, it's not. This is a common process. Once you have the application, you will know that these are the kind of things that you need to track and do. Like if you're using Interfolio or um, requesting letters and, and things like that, this is just part of the process, but at least ours is tailored <laughs> to like check and, yeah. and keep things confidential and correct and then send it on. So you got it. Good, good product. All right, my friends, thank you for coming and hanging out with us for another scintillating episode of Pre-Med Office Hours. Don't forget to go check out mappedcon.com and get your tickets for our amazing event in October in Baltimore. Coming we have thousands of students. We're going to have lots of med schools there, representatives from schools and uh, physicians talking about their careers and PAs talking about their careers and NPs talking about their careers and so much more. Come play. It will be Come. worth it. It will be worth your time to come. Just come hang out with me at the bar until like three o'clock oh in the morning. Gosh. That'll be fun. Not drinking, of course. I don't drink. Of course. A lot. <laughs> All right, everyone. I will see you soon. Courtney, thanks for hanging out uh, yeah. for, for pre-med office hours today. Have Happy a great to do it. day. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.